Mark chapter 12, verse 28 to 34. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and that there is no other besides him. And to love him with all your heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And then Jesus saw that he answered wisely and said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Morning, King's Cross. Morning. So uh, my name is Chris. For those of you that know me, I'm a, I'm a pastor here at, at King's Cross Church. And um, for um, those of you that are new visiting us this morning, um, whether you're a new believer, you're just kind of checking this whole Jesus, Christianity thing out for the first time, uh, or maybe like you grew up going to church and you haven't haven't been to church or don't have a, a home church, uh, wherever you are on that spectrum, we just want to say we welcome you guys. Uh, this is a safe place to explore what it means to, to know Jesus and, and to follow him. And uh, we want you to know right on the, on the outset uh, that, that any questions, inquiries, comments you guys might have, we're open. And uh, so we'd love to, to dialogue with you if you have any questions. And for, for those of you guys that, that have been here and consider King's Cross your home, uh, I just want to say, man, it's good to be back up here serving you guys. I've had uh, just the blessing these last couple weeks of um, having a break from preaching to focus on some of the other things with the church and, um, and also to just be, just be blessed to be um, sitting in the seats uh, receiving the word of God from gifted friends of ours. But man, it's good to be serving you guys again. So... Uh, if you have a Bible and you haven't done so already, go ahead and grab it, turn to Mark chapter 12. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, no worries, the text will be up on the screen. But we're going to be in Mark chapter 12. That's where we're diving into this morning. But before we sort of walk through uh, our text this morning, I want to sort of set up where we're heading for the next few weeks, all right? We're going to do sort of a mini-series on what our mission is as a church. So I'd like to sort of start with a, a little story. A few weeks ago, uh, a, a light bulb went out in our, in our kitchen uh, at home. A light bulb went out in our kitchen, and it's the one that's right above the sink, so it's like kind of an important one, you know? Uh, and Alyssa, my wife, uh, my beautiful wife up here, she kindly asked if I wouldn't mind to drive to the store and to grab a new light bulb. And so I go out to the store and minutes pass. Um, and if you know me, you're like, this isn't a surprise at all. But somewhere along the line, I couldn't tell you how this happened. Like it must've been a long day for me, but somewhere along the line, I forgot why I was at the store. Um, and so I picked up a few things while I was there that I, I thought, <laughs> I thought I remembered that we needed. Um, and meanwhile, like back at home, like many, many minutes go by. Uh, and I come home with a bottle of wine and some nice popcorn, and I'm pretty happy with myself. And Alyssa asks, where's the light bulb? 
And then that's when I realized what you guys already know is that I'm a moron, right? <laughs> like, I'm a moron. I, I forgot the, this light bulb I was supposed to get. I diverted from the mission of which I was sent. It's like that classic Jack in the Beanstalk move, right? Like, he's supposed to go out, sell the cow, come back home with a ton of cash, but instead he comes home with, like, beans. He comes home with beans, and his mom's like, what in the world happened? Like, you had one job, right? Like, my one, one job was to go and get this light bulb, but instead I came home with some goodies for myself. And um, you see, my failure, my failure in that moment, I think, paints a really helpful picture for all of us. Uh, so you're welcome. It's this, this picture that that it's really easy for us to get distracted when we're supposed to be in the, in the middle of this mission that we've been sent on. It's easy for us to get distracted when we're supposed to be in the midst of this, this, this mission that, that we as Christians have been sent on. And so what I would love for us to do as, as a church family is over the next few weeks to just sort of really unpack our mission statement here at, at, at King's Cross Church. Now, we'll still be in the Bible, but we're going to unpack our mission statement. Our mission statement is, um, you know, I don't know why I don't have a slide for this, but I'll read it out to you guys. Uh, our mission is that King's Cross Church exists to multiply disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of their neighbors. I'll read it again. King's Cross Church exists to multiply disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of our neighbors. And we do that through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, this mission is a mission that really comes from the scriptures. It comes from the scriptures, as we'll see this morning and over the next few weeks. But I want for us as a church family to just really camp out on, on this idea. What does it mean to live, to spend our lives for God's glory and the good of the people around us? We need this reminder now more than ever. This reminder that God has put our church here for a reason. He has given us all a mission. He has given us as individuals. He's individually given us a mission, but he's also given our church a mission this collective mission to live our lives for his glory and for the good of those around us. You see, sometimes there's this tendency in churches where once you're, once you're established and once you've been around for a while that you become really inward focused, right? Anytime you're, 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 in a, you're in a Bible passage, you look at for opportunities to talk about, oh, there's those people out there, and then we're like the, the in crowd over here, right? Where church becomes this sort of refuge. And in a sense, like that's a, that's a biblical theme. The church is a refuge, but at the same time, the church is a, should be a missionary church. We see that in John 17, when Jesus is praying to his Father, he says, God, as you have sent me into this dark world, so I send them. And so this question that you hear say from time to time is, man, are we as individuals, are we as a church, is our posture, are we living as sent people? And this reminder that we, we need through this little series, this is a timely re reminder. Because, look, we're coming up here. You've heard about this, some, some, you know, a little bit of... Uh, uh, 
talk about this, right? But like, we're, we're moving up on moving day. <laughs> we're moving up on moving day here. And God's some, doing some really cool things, you guys. He's doing some really cool things in and through us. And, you know, we started this church with, with what we called a soft launch with, back in Easter with about uh, a team of about 20 to 25 people who'd been praying and praying and, and searching the scriptures on what does a faithful church in our Orange County context look like. And, and we, 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 so we started weekly services in the spring. And what we've seen is that we've, we've more than doubled over the summer. Next weekend, Dennis Cragen's getting baptized after the Sunday service. And hey, look, maybe there's someone else here too that like, We'll get baptized next Sunday too. Like we celebrate that. We celebrate what God's been doing in Dennis's life. We celebrate what God's been doing in and through um, us as a church family. And in November, in November, the first weekend of November, we'll be moving into RSM Intermediate School just down the road from here. They've got a theater, uh, so no setup and teardown for chairs, which we're excited about. But man, we're we're just grateful for um, just the gifts that God has given us, for the ways that he's providing and, and leading us. And so, man, we got big things around the corner, and so we, we need you guys to be, be praying. Um, I mean, if you're a visitor here this morning, like, sorry if it sounds sort of like a family meeting right now, but, but this is, for those of us that consider uh, King's Cross Church like your home, your church family, uh, man, we need you guys to be praying, to be ready to serve in new ways. Um, once we're in the school, we're going to spend a few weeks kind of praying and preparing and tweaking like our setup. And then in the first week of December, we're going to launch an Advent series on why Jesus came to die. And I want all of us to start praying now for, for those, those friends uh, that we know, those family that we know, those, those, those neighbors, those coworkers, all those people that you've been thinking, man, I'd love to invite them to church, but for some reason, like you haven't. Like, let's be praying that the Spirit of God starts working right now, uh, stirring in, 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 in people's hearts so that when, when you invite them, that they'll have an opportunity to come and get to know Jesus, get to love Him, get to worship Him as God. How great would that be? Right? Like many of us here in this, in this room are here because someone else, maybe someone else in this room, was faithfully praying for us. We know that God works in mysterious ways through prayer, and so, and so let's be praying. Um, so to launch us into this new season at King's Cross, we're going we're gonna to camp out for a few weeks on our mission to multiply disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of our neighbors through the gospel of Jesus. And so uh, let's unpack Mark 12 this morning. Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 28 through 34. And what we'll see is that this passage will kind of serve to recalibrate, to sort of realign our hearts uh, with our mission. And we have three points we're going to work through. First, what is the foundation of our love for God? Secondly, what should our love for God look like? And thirdly, what does it look like to love others? So first, what is the foundation of our love for God? Second, what should our love for God actually look like? And lastly, we'll close with what does it look like to love others? So first, what is the foundation of our love for God? Uh, Read verse 28 with me in Mark 12. Verse 28 says... Uh, in the ESV, and one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. 
And seeing that he, that's speaking of Jesus, seeing that Jesus answered them well, uh, the scribe asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? So you got this scribe. The scribe, he comes up to Jesus, and we see from the text that the reason he comes to Jesus is because he's pretty impressed. He's pretty impressed with how Jesus has been handling himself around his skeptics and doubters and, and really his haters, right? Like Jesus had a haters back then. He's got haters today. That, something's never changed, right? And so this scribe, this scribe, he's impressed with how Jesus has been handling himself with his skeptics. That's what everything in Mark chapter 12 up until this point has been about. All right. So this scribe is impressed with how Jesus has handled the skeptic, and so he approaches him. Now, a scribe back then was sort of like a half theologian and half lawyer. That's what a scribe was. Half of his job was to know a lot about theology, and the other half of his job was like to know a lot about law and how it worked. And so it's kind of like this vocational hybrid, right? Half theologian, half lawyer. And the, the reason that they had these scribes is because Look, back then, there were tons and tons and tons of these religious laws that governed the nation of Israel at that time. There was tons of laws, and so these scribes' job was to study each and every law and determine what the purpose for each law was and how they should be observed and why they exist in the first place. So that's what a scribe did. And so this is a smart dude, right? Like, this scribe, he's a pretty smart guy. He's an expert in the Torah, which is the Jewish book of law. And he comes to Jesus. The scribe comes to Jesus with this question. Jesus, which commandment? Of all these commandments that I've been studying and I know and that I, I know really intimately and in depth, which commandment is the most important for, uh, of all? Now, just so you know, for context, there are 613 commandments in the Torah. It's a lot of commandments, right? There's 613 commandments in the Torah, in the book of the law. And on top of these 613 commandments, there's like another 1,500-something commandments in what was called the Mishnah. Now, Mishnah is not in the Bible, but it's not official law, but there were these rules that were sort of passed on by oral tradition. So generation would tell generation, that would tell generation. And so it wasn't necessarily in the Bible, but there were 1,500 laws passed on by oral tradition that were still really important to them. And this scribe friend of ours in Mark 12, uh, he was an expert in, in all of those too. And so basically you've got thousands and thousands of commandments, and at some point you've got to ask, like, okay, which, which one's the more important, right? If I had to pick one, which of these is the most important? important? Seems like a natural question for a guy in his position to ask, right? And what we see here in the way that Jesus answers, Jesus answers him brilliantly. The way Jesus answers, we see that there's actually a question behind the question. There's this question behind the question, and Jesus knows it. You see, behind the question, what is the one command, what is the one rule that I should keep, is this greater question, like, how should I live my life? How do I live my one life that I'm given? Like, how many of us have been haunted by that question? How do I live the one life that I'm given? Like, you've got one chance. How should I live it? 
What is the center of God's will for me? What is my purpose? What is the mission of my life? You see, this question is the question. And here's how Jesus responds. Look at verse 29. Jesus answered, The most important is, and then he quotes from Deuteronomy, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Verse 30, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. He calls this the greatest commandment. And so the greatest commandment, Jesus basically says, is to to love. That's the greatest commandment, is to love, to love God. And you see, for most of us, we have we, we have like friends or family, or maybe we see a little bit of this in us, but we, we have people in our lives that don't like the idea of, of, of God, of there being a God who has commands for us, right? Like we all know people like that. We, they don't like this idea that there's a God that we answer to, a God that has commands for us. They say, look, that's why I don't go to church. There's like too many rules, right? That's why I don't like Christianity. There's so many commands, but if we said, hey, look, you know, you want to know at the end of the day what the, those commands are, are really all about? It's all about love. And then, then you'd be like, well, now we're talking, right? Now we're talking because we, we love love. Like if I told you guys all we need is love, you'd be like, man, I don't know why, but I feel like I could sing that, right? Like, that just makes me happy. And that's what Jesus is doing here. You see, he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6 to tell us that at the end of the day, it's about loving God. It's about loving God. Jesus begins with this proclamation. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And here's where we see the foundation of our love for God. This is in this little statement, we see the foundation of all of our love for God. Look at this important verse. He says, The Lord our God. The Lord our God. You see, Jesus is is is, is quoting from Deuteronomy from this really uh, important passage that, that all the nation of Israel knew. Uh, and, and he says, he says, the Lord our God, and when he heard that phrase, the Lord our God, this would evoke in his listeners, this would evoke in the scribe, this, this hopeful reminder that, man, there is one God, and he is their God. There's one God, and he is their God. This is not only the God who created them, but he's the God who set them apart in Abraham, the God who liberated them from shackles out of slavery through Moses. This is the God who saved them, the God who redeemed them, the God who loved them first. You see, that is the foundation of our love for God as we recognize the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. He is the Lord, the Lord who loved us first. You see, I find it fascinating that Jesus begins his answer not with a command, which is what this guy asked for, but he technically begins his answer with really a proclamation. You see, Most of us grew up with this idea of God that if you want to get to know him, 
If you want to get to know him, then you need to please him. You need to do good things. You need to not do bad things. And so if you, if you want to know this God, then you need to learn his, his commands. Do the good things, avoid the bad things. But Jesus says, look, if you want to learn what God wants, then you, you need to start with who God is. If you want to know what it is that God wants from us, what he commands from us, then you need to start with who he is. A.W. Tozer in his classic book, The Knowledge of the Holy, which uh, was written in the 1960s, he's got a quote that kind of encapsulates this. He says, look, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Isn't that interesting? He says the most important thing about us, not the most important thing about him, but the most important thing about us. Let's start over. So he says, Tozer says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Because the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or may do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. We tend by this secret law of the soul to move towards our mental image of God. In other words, Tozer says, we have a tendency of creating God in our own image. That's why you need to start with a proclamation of who he is, is because we have this tendency to create God in our image. When Jesus says the Lord is one, that means God never pauses one attribute for another, right? Like he never, he doesn't pause his sovereignty to be merciful. He doesn't stop being loving to exercise his justice. He doesn't pause one attribute so that he could be like whatever our favorite one is. He is fully love. He is fully just. He is fully merciful. He is fully great all the time. Jesus reminds us, he says, he, the Lord, God Almighty, he's the maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and all that is unseen. Like this is the God, the Lord, our God, the Lord who is one, who created everything from horizon, from one horizon to the other, from the heights to the depths below. He is the one Lord over it all. He's the Lord, our God. He's the author of salvation, the good, true, and beautiful one who saves us from all evil, and he knows the best way for us to live. You see, loving God, it begins with who he is. Loving God begins with, with, with worship. Loving God begins with worship. That's the foundation for loving God. It's, it's worship. And so in answering the question, what is the foundation of our love for God? It's recognizing who he is and it's worshiping him. Second question for us this morning. Now, what should our love for God look like? Now that we've established a foundation, what should our love for God, what should it look like? Here's that greatest commandment that... Jesus says, after starting with the proclamation in verse 30, he says, here's the greatest commandment. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart 
and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And he walks us, you see here, through four ways that we should love God. Loving the Lord with all your heart. That's the first one. Now, in English, we think of heart as like how we feel, right? When you hear the word heart, you think like, okay, that's talking about like how we feel, like emotions and, and that whole bit. But, but in Hebrew, which again, Jesus is quoting from, in Hebrew, it's a bit more than just, than just that. In Hebrew, the heart is actually the core of who you are. The heart is the core of your identity. It's the source of all your thoughts. It's the source of your words, the source of your actions. Everything that you are flows from your heart. That's why in Proverbs 4, we're told, keep the heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. In the Christian Standard Bible, translate it, it's translated as the source of life. And so you see, to, to, to love God with all your heart is to love God with the, with the purest, the, the deepest, and the truest part of who you are. It's to love Him with, with your inner being. And then Jesus says, the word to love God with all your soul, with all your soul. That word soul in the Hebrew language has to do with your passions, your passions, like that, that side of your emotions, your, your passions. It's like sort of the life force that fuels you, that ignites you, that gets you up in the morning and that drives you. The soul is where your deep-seated passions live. Now, we all have some passions that just bring us to life, right? We all have passions that bring us to life. Look, every single one of us, regardless of what kind of personality you have, like there are some things, there are some passions that will just light you up. Like, let's try something. Who here is like a, an introvert, like a true introvert in the truest sense of the word? Um, and he, he, look, the funny thing about this question is that all the true introverts in the room would like never raise their hand, right? <laughs> A true introvert is like, dude, if I raise my hand, everyone behind me is going to be staring at me. So no, I'm just going to kind of feel this out and see where this goes, right? But look, no matter how shy or introverted even the truest introvert is, like if, if you're standing, if you're an introvert and you're standing by yourself at some party and I walk up to you, like all I have to do is find what is that one thing that you're super passionate about? What is that one thing that just loosens up your gears, right? And once we get on that topic, like, you will not shut up. <laughs> like, you will not stop talking for either for better or for worse. You just, you won't stop talking. Like, whatever it is for you, if you're an introvert or an extrovert, whatever it is for you that gets you going, like, is it like a job, a hobby, a game, the news, history, politics, nutrition, fitness. Like, we all have something that we're super passionate about. Things that, get our, that just get us going, that get us out of bed. Things that drive us. Things that, that, that fuel our deep-seated passions. Jesus is saying, look, above even all those other passions that get you going, 
above all those passions that fuel you, that get you up out of bed in the morning, above even, over and above even all those, love the Lord with all your soul. Love the Lord your God with all your soul. Now that doesn't mean that you don't you don't get to that you don't get to have other passions. Doesn't mean that you don't get to enjoy uh, gifts from God. It just means that you place God in seat number one and let all that you care about flow from there, subservient to your primary passion for Him. Then Jesus says. You love the Lord with all your mind, with all your mind. The Greek word for mind there has to do with your, your intellect, your mental faculties, the way, that you, the way that you think, the way that you, the way that you reason, like logic and rationality. That's what it means to love the Lord with all your mind. Now look, this is really important, especially like in our day and age. I, I want to highlight this because like for whatever reason, uh, and I mean you could study church history and kind of get a good, good gist of why this might be, but like for, for whatever reason, uh, for the last century and a half, for whatever reason, Satan's scheming, like I don't know, like, but there's been this, this small but, but growing undercurrent of like anti-intellectualism in the church. Now that hasn't historically been true. But in the last like 100, 150 years, that's been true. There's this growing undercurrent of anti-intellectualism in the church. And so for that reason, a lot of Christians, especially, and this is really true more in like Western American Christianity, but, but for that reason, most Christians, most American Christians, they'll actually put more weight on the heart than they do on the mind. There's a drive to, to feel, Right? We want to feel it, to emote, to experience faith in a personal way. But often, it can be at the expense of of thinking well. How does this make me feel has become more important than, like, is this true? Is this how I should be thinking? Emotive experiences through worship and through singing and, and through songs and through feeling it becomes more important than the mind stuff. I'm not saying that that's a, like, I, man, I, I love emoting, right? Like, I want to see passion. I love seeing passion in others. Like, it's important for us to feel the weight of God's greatness, the weight of his glory, the weight of his love and mercy and grace toward us. But we can't be primarily driven by that. And so some people, like, some people kind of downplay theology like it's just some fringe academic sport for like brain jocks, right? But the word theology, the word theology is made up of the words theos, which means God in the Greek, and logos, which means word in the Greek. And so theology literally means words about God. That's what theology is, words about God. And so if you've ever said anything like, Jesus saves, you're doing theology. If you've ever said anything like, I don't believe in a God, you're doing theology. The more, like, so theology is, that's all that it is. It's words about God. And so we we can't shy away from it because, look, the more that you know God, the more that you search these pages, to understand it and have it 
have it work on you, the more that you know God in all his splendor, then the more you can actually come to love him. I'll say that again. The more that you know God in all his splendor, not just what's true about him, but what's good and beautiful about him. The more you know God in all his splendor, the more you can actually come to love him. I love this quote by John Piper. He's got um, this book called Think, uh, The Life of the Mind and the Mission of God. And he, he says, God is not honored by groundless love. In fact, there is no such thing. If we do not know anything about God, then there is nothing in our mind to awaken love. If love does not come from knowing God, then there is no point in calling it love for God. You see, this is important. We, don't, we, we, we need to feel things. We need to emote, but we also need to think rightly uh, about him. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your mind. And lastly, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your strength. With all your strength. Now, this has to do with, with basically with what you do. With what is it that you do with your strength, with your might, with your body, with your energy, your physical energy? We're to love God with our gifts, our talents, our experiences, our education, our ability, our relational networks. Basically, everything that God has given you in this physical world, your body and the things around you, like love Him with all your might. Love Him with all your strength in those areas. 1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul says, look, whatever you eat or drink or whatever it is that you do, do all for the glory of God. And so with all that we have, Paul's saying, and all that we have, Jesus is saying, in all of our working and laboring, in all of our, our dreaming and planning, in all of our creating and innovating, in teaching and learning and writing and consulting, in whatever it is that you do, vocationally or with, when you're with your family or with your hobbies, in whatever it is that you do, do it all, Jesus says, as an expression of love and worship to God. Wherever God has placed you, wherever he has wired you, however he has wired you, love him with that. Love him with that, Jesus says. So Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Now, why do you think he says it like this? Why do you think he says it like this? And you see, the point that Jesus is trying to get across here with heart, soul, mind, strength is love him, love God with your whole being. Love him with your whole being. Love him with all that you are. That's Jesus' point. Love him with all that you are, holistically, be integrated, be whole and healthy. And so when he says heart, soul, mind, strength, he's not saying, so these are the four parts of your personality, right? Heart, soul, mind, and strength. Like that's not, not what he's saying. Like we're whole people. 
We are whole people. We are all. We are all heart. We are all soul. We are all mind. We are all might and strength. Jesus is saying, "Love God with all that. Love God with all your life, with all that you are. All of it is to be an expression of love to God." Which leads us into our last point. You see, for Jesus, it doesn't stop with just love for God, but we see in what Jesus says that love for God is actually the launching pad that drives the way that we live in this world and the way that we live among our neighbors. Jesus tells the dude,、uh, the scribe. He tells the scribe the greatest commandment, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he says, and the second. The second greatest is this: you shall love your neighbor as yourself.、Um, and it's interesting because, look, the scribe asks Jesus one question. He says, "Jesus, what is the greatest commandment?" And Jesus says, "Here's the greatest commandment, but hey, listen, like this second one is tied closely to it. It's just like it. The second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. Our love for God is a launching pad that drives us into how we live, especially among our neighbors. And so that leads us to our our third and final question: What does it look like to love others? What does it look like to love others? And so what we see here in verse thirty-one: Love your neighbor as yourself. Here, like earlier, Jesus was quoting from Deuteronomy, but in this verse, Jesus is actually quoting from another Old Testament law, from Leviticus 19.、Um, now, let's turn. It's not too long a passage, but let's turn there really quick so we kind of get the context of the original command.、Uh, turn with to Leviticus 19 for me. Leviticus 19. It'll also be up on the screen,、uh, beginning in verse 13. So here's the full context of the command that Jesus is quoting: to love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19, verse 13: You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You act fairly. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. But in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your brother, lest you incur sin because of him. And you shall not take vengeance or bear grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There it is. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And so, when we look at this context, we see that look, this command, this command to love your neighbor as yourself, it's got layers to it, doesn't it? It's got layers to it. Now, it is about loving your actual neighbor, but it's also about justice, right? It's about loving people at a social disadvantage. It's about defending the oppressed. You don't favor this one group over here. You don't favor these other group in a court of law, right? Like you stand up for righteousness. It's also about animosity. It's about holding grudges against people. It's about how you speak to others and how you speak of them when they're not in the room. You see. Loving your neighbor 
has multiple layers to it. Now, again, loving your neighbor does include actually loving the neighbors, the people that are around you. And look, loving your neighbor, the people around you, that actually flies in the face of sort of Orange County suburban thinking, right? I mean, we live in the land of cul-de-sacs and gated communities, right? Like, we don't, we don't, we don't typically talk to our neighbors. We, we sort of protect our own personal space. It's like, you know, for those of us that came from the city, it's like, that's why we left the city and moved to the suburb, right? Like, we protect our own personal space. But there's something to be said, especially as a people of God, as a sent people. There's something to be said about being relationally present in the communities that we live in. There's something about being relationally present with the people around us. We just put this blackboard wall up in our home and um, we, you know, we, we, we put, put some like chalk art on there and Alyssa said, you know, the one quote she wants on there is, um, wherever you are, be all there. Jim Elliott, right? Wherever you are, be all there. Be relationally present with the people that you're around. Not just the family that lives across. And this, like he's, he's, he's not talking just about the family that lives across the street or the couple in the, part, in the apartment underneath you. But he's also talking about like the, the co-worker across the cubicle aisle. Also the barista at the coffee shop. The cashier in the checkout line. The server at the restaurants that you eat at. Man, look, when, when I was talking to, we, we, got, we got some people at, at our church that like work in the service industry. Um, man, anyone, it's how many of us work or have worked in the service industry, right? Like, it's, it's hard work, right? People typically, they, they don't treat you well, especially in an entitled, commu- an entitled community like this, right? Like, you don't always get treated well. So like I've kind of I don't forget where I got this from. I wasn't smart enough to come up with it. I'm sure somebody like I saw somebody do this and I just like started mimicking him. But um, man, every place I go, every restaurant, even if it's like fast food and I'm just ordering at the counter and then taking off in a couple minutes, um, if they don't have a name tag, I ask the server or the cashier like, "What's your name?" And then and then whenever they tell me their name, I address them by their first name, even if I'm only there for a minute. Like, hey. Thanks, Jared, right? Have a good day. And man, if you just call someone by their name, if you actually take the time to try this next time you're at a restaurant and you know, somebody's serving you, and because sometimes like, people are so busy, like, there's, you know, they, they forget to tell you their name. And if you ask them, like, hey, what's your name again? Amy? All right. And then next time they come and drop off your water, hey, thanks, Amy. Uh, hey, Amy, I have a question. Like you said, their face lights up. It's the wildest thing. Right? Like, people love to feel relationally known. That's what hospitality is about. Ask your servers their name. So, like, I hope you also know your neighbor's name, right? I hope you know your neighbor's name. When, when Alyssa and I was going through our uh, church planning assessment with, with Acts 29, uh, the two of us were sitting down, and there was this, like, this, this, this board of, of, of people, men and women, that were asking us, questions about our life, about our understanding of the gospel and like theology and family and background and all this stuff. And at one point, like they, they, they asked like everything, that, there are a lot of the questions that they asked that were, were just like, okay, you kind of expect this to be in, a, in, a, in an interview like, like, like this. 
for church planning. Uh, but at one point they said, um, what are your neighbors' names? You know, what are your neighbors' names? Tell us them. And so we started going through like our, our neighbors on, on the street. We don't, we'd lived there for like um, some months at, at, at the time, but we, we started going through like all the neighbors on our street, like their, their names. Um, and, and, um, it just kind of struck me, it just kind of jarred me that, uh, man, that's really cool that they care about that, right? Like, they want to know that for, for me as a pastor and as a church planner, that I'm actually like living this out, that I'm actually like living and have this posture and this man, like mentality that, that man, I'm, I'm a sent person. God has sovereignly sent me, like in his providence, in his grace, like to the street that we live on, to this community that we live in. And so, um, it just kind of stuck out in my mind. And so I, I hope that you know your neighbor's names. Uh, and if you don't, uh, maybe you can start this week, right? I hope you know their names. I hope that you pray for them. Hopefully you have them into your home, right? Like let's be a community of Jesus that is known just like Jesus was for our hospitality and for our kindness. Let's be a community of Jesus that is known for our service, that is known for, as Jesus says, loving our neighbor, as we would want to be loved ourselves. Look, whoever it is that you do life around, Jesus is saying, that is your neighbor. Whoever it is that you do life around, love them. Love them. See, left to ourselves, we'll only hang with people who look like us and talk like us, like carbon copies of us. And you're like, man, I don't know why I like this person so much, right? It's because they're just like you, right? But if we believe, if we believe in a God that is sovereign, and we do because we learn about him from the scriptures, right? If we believe in a God that is sovereign, a God who is sovereign, and he calls us to places, and he calls us to jobs. He births us into one family and not another. He placed us in one century and not another. And if we believe in a sovereign God and we believe that we are sent people, sent by this sovereign God, then look, you're going to love the people around you. It's just going to flow out from you. If you love a God like that, a God who is sovereign, a God who sent his son, if you love a God like that with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then man, you are going to love your neighbor as yourself. You're going to love the people God has placed around you. You're going to love not just the people that God has placed on your heart, but you're going to love those that God has placed on your path. You are, and if you're a follower of Jesus, I understand some of us this morning like might not be, but if you are, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you need to recognize that you're an ambassador of light. You are an ambassador of light in a broken and dark world that is screaming for hope, that is yearning and thirsty for renewal. Look, as we close, I just just a quick note. Like, there's a there's a temptation that we can have when we hear a message like this, and we feel guilt and shame for the ways that like you don't love God or you don't love others well, but. But look, that the number one reason, the number one reason that you and I fail to love God the way that he deserves is because we have failed to understand the depths of who he is. That's why Jesus starts with the proclamation, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
the number one reason you and I fail to love God the way that He deserves is because we failed to understand the depths of who He is, the multiple facets of the gospel, the depths that He has loved us in Jesus Christ. Until you grasp the weightiness of that, until you grasp the weightiness of how God has loved you, about what He has done for you in sending Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you really understand the implications of what that means for all of history and what that means for you as a broken sinner, until you understand the implications of what that, that means and rejoice in that, and, and enjoy that until you're there, then you'll never fully grasp how to live. You'll never fully grasp how to live out of that love because you're holding yourself down with guilt and shame and condemnation. Jesus says, look, the Lord our God, the God who belongs to us and we belong to him, the one true God, like he is yours and you are his. That's where Jesus starts. And so if you and I fail to love God or others the way that we should, it's because we failed to grasp that first. And so the answer isn't, hey, do a better job. The answer is, know God better. Love him more. Understand the depths of the gospel and be transformed. Be renewed. Be restored. And let him give you the power. Let him give you the passion to live for his glory and the good of our neighbors. The Bible says that God has loved us with an eternally resilient love. God says, look, here's how much I love you. Here are the stars. Here's the beach. Here's this world that you get to enjoy and and, and, as, and as my ambassadors, you can be a part of renewing and restoring. And he says, here's my son. Here is my son to live and to die in your place so that you can be with me. While we were still sinners, the Bible says, Jesus Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, he died for us. And when you gaze at the love of God in Jesus Christ, then you'll find your own heart in a place of true worship. You'll find your own heart in a place of love. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church podcast. If you would like to learn more about King's Cross Church or make a donation, please visit kx.church. Here at King's Cross, we believe that worship means more than just listening to a sermon, and we encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. For Sunday morning meeting time and location for King's Cross Church, please visit kx.church. Thanks again for listening.